Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. I'm your host, DJ Stavropoulos, part-time background actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for tuning in. I named this episode Rise of the Dynasty for two reasons. First, one of my favorite shows from 20 years ago is Back on the Air, Meerkat Manor, except this time the title is Meerkat Manor, Rise of the Dynasty. And the British guy who narrates it pronounces it Dynasty. I know we pronounce it Dynasty here in the States, but since he calls it Dynasty, I'm going with his pronunciation. There are four tribes of meerkats this time, and the Whiskers leader, Swift, is the great-granddaughter of Flower, who starred in the original, but got bit by a snake and died. Boo-hoo. This new one is more complicated to follow because each meerkat has a name, but all I can keep track of is the names of the three main tribes. Okay, sorry. So the phone went off and basically you need to turn your phone down when you're recording your podcast and turn off all those bells and whistles that go off on your computer as well. So what I was saying was all I can keep track of is the names of the three main tribes and the female leader of each. Swift runs the Whiskers, Flint Lockwood runs Hakuna Matata, and Daisy runs Ubuntu. I find the show even more stressful when scary things happen. I'm currently distressed about Sencha, Flint's sister, being banished from her tribe because she was a threat to Flint's unborn pups. Word on the street is that she might actually kill them. Since being banished, she's hooked up with a roaming dude named Lilac, who's from the Whiskers tribe. But if Sench is pregnant, there is no way she will be let back into her tribe, and it's highly unlikely that a player like Lilac will stay with her. So tragic I can barely watch. Maybe I'm becoming softer in my old age. It's just nature, but sometimes nature can be so cruel that us humans have a hard time dealing with it. Sort of like watching little kids bully each other and feeling horrible for the victim. The other reason for the episode name is I'm back on Dynasty after a year. The show is total cheese ball, and I can barely stand to watch it because all of the lines come across so fake but I just realized that maybe that's intentional. Maybe the show is making fun of all the 1980s nighttime soaps. What do you think? I did some more iPhone recording in this episode, but only because I was stuck in my car for 20 hours over two days driving up to Cape Cod and then again driving back. Because my phone is in my lap, the sound quality isn't great, so I didn't add the background music to those segments since that would have made it even harder to understand. Just turn up the volume on those portions so you get the full impact. You'll be glad you did. I'll get started after the break. It's Friday, July 2nd, 2021. I'm in Provincetown, Mass. right now with my dog vacationing for a week, but you know how it is. When something happens, I just have to write it down and tell you about it before I forget. I'm not actually doing background work while here because it's not a work from home kind of job as I've mentioned before. And besides, who works while on vacation? Not me, not anymore. But I did apply for something just before leaving and I got hired. It's a stand-in job on the staircase, but it's core stand-in. What does that mean? I've mentioned before doing day jobs as stand-in, which means they hire you for a day or so and may hire you again. But core means you are the full-time person. In this case, it was for five months, July through November. They provided the first 14 days, most of which were in July. So if you do the math, 
and the remaining months have the same number of days, we're talking about over 70 days at $160 per eight hour day. That's a lot of time and money. I knew when I applied that I had a conflict the first two days, but did so anyway. I thought, hey, what are the chances they'll actually hire me? And if they do, then I'll deal with that issue then. One more thing about the hiring, because this isn't something you usually have to do, but I had to supply two additional things. One, a resume, which I actually have, and two, a reel. Everyone knows what a resume is. Mine I created online on the Nine site. Uh, which I update every time I work a job and then export it as a PDF. It's pretty basic, just the production name, year, role, and production company. Now, a reel is something different. It's a short video of yourself telling the viewer a few basic things about you. In this case, it was my name, age, and height. And it didn't have to be professional, so I used my gimbal and my iPhone to make it. Also, for the photos, they wanted a left profile and a right profile, as well as a headshot and full body. She called that evening and left a voicemail, saying I was their top choice and that they just needed to get approval. The next day, they left another message saying I had been booked and that they'd be emailing me details. Well, I was on the road for two days, 20 hours total, so I just waited until that email arrived so I could respond when I got to my hotel, which I did. I asked if they could possibly find a day player for the first two days since I wouldn't be back in Atlanta in time, but it was a firm, unfortunately, no. So that fell through. Part of me is glad, I guess, because it almost felt like too much of a time commitment, as in a whole second full-time job. I have since replied for more work down at Trillith, doing what I have been doing, as well as more work in Sonoya, but even that might be a challenge since I'm not back home for another week. I don't know what's happening over at Central Casting these days. Today again, I got a first available text for a project I never said I was available for. I replied with no. And then got another text saying, sorry, the first one was an error. Three points I want to make about how doing background work can actually ruin your viewing experience. I saw the new movie In the Heights recently on HBO Max. It's a tremendously good musical, and although I'm not a huge fan of these, once I got used to it, I was okay with hearing almost every line sung instead of spoken. However, and it's a big however, in all caps, now that I know how complicated it is to film a single scene just normally, when I see 50 people dancing and singing, it fries my brain. I cannot imagine how such scenes are filmed, and it gives me a lot of anxiety. I start wondering how many takes they had to do and how they corralled everyone to move in sync and whether they're just lip syncing or not. Probably just lip syncing. Second, give your show at least one full episode before deciding whether you'll continue or not. I started watching Mayor of Easttown recently and stopped halfway through episode one. I didn't like what I'd seen so far and had no intention of continuing. But then someone I know well said it was a great show, and he's right. The second half of the first episode was enough to get me over the hump, and now it's hard for me to stop watching it. A lot of twists and turns, this is going to sound bad, but given my experience growing up in the Northeast, I have a preference for the South. So seeing shows set in cold industrial towns in Pennsylvania is hard to relate to. And part of me always thinks, how can these people live up there? They have no idea what they're missing. Finally, on the same note, I watched Greenland recently, and the problem I have with it 
is it was filmed here in Atlanta. So the opening shots of their neighborhood and house bring back all too familiar memories of the exact same home I bought in 1996 up in Kennesaw with its picture-perfect lawn, three sides brick, and Stepford Wise neighbors. Nothing against this, but it all feels incredibly fake right now. Now that I've succumbed to loving the urban grit of living in a very old and established Atlanta neighborhood where everything isn't brand new. So I don't plan to return this into a video podcast after all. I recorded one segment of the last episode as a video and then extracted the audio to insert into this podcast. Here's the problem. The video itself is actually five to six shorter videos strung together, each recorded using my phone, so the sound quality doesn't match that of my professional mono microphone, which I use for all the other segments. Also, because they're recorded separately, the volume of the sound is not identical. Then, when I extract the MP3 from the video, it sounds slightly lower than all the rest, making it even harder to hear over the background music. Oh well, I try. I think I need to keep my video work focused on my real estate business. If you want to watch me talk through a portion of Season 1, Episode 15, that's still out there on my YouTube channel in the Background Scoop playlist. So it's Thursday, July 8th, 2021. Uh, I am about, God, what time is it? Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. It's 8.11. Okay, so I've been driving for just over an hour now. We're on day two of our two-day, 20-hour trip home from Provincetown, Massachusetts to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Sugar's asleep in the back seat. I don't know why I'm doing this uh, while I'm driving. But anyway, um, just passed through my favorite drive through city of the whole trip, somewhere between Alexandria, Virginia, and Richmond. It is called Spotsylvania, S-P-O-T-S-V-Y-L-A-N-I-A. And I imagine it's where Dalmatian vampires live, but it's a really cool name. Anyway, uh, that's my first story. My second story is... Uh, <laughs> I met some really cool people on this trip. I guess I could put them into three groups. People I met only online, but never in the real world. People I met in the real world, but not online. And people that I met through both mediums. Which brings me to Ryan and Rich, who are this <clears throat> nice couple from suburban Boston who just bought a place in P-Town a couple years ago on Commercial Street. And they reached out and invited me over for a drink uh, my last night there. And they were just really cool. Uh, down-to-earth professional, probably late 30s. Um, one works for Simply Safe, and one works in biotech. Um, and they were having dinner at uh, Strangers and Saints, uh, one of our favorite places where we've eaten a few times. Um, so I don't really have a point in this story, except to say it's been a long time since I met, like, really cool people that I could connect with immediately and <clears throat> had a lot of common in common with and it's just really really interesting um it's one of those things like i'm like i don't know if i should go do this i don't know these people blah 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 but um it turned out to be um a really nice um experience meeting them so if you are vacationing alone anywhere in your life um i guess my point is um take a chance uh engage with strangers you never know what you're gonna find and although it could turn out to be not a great experience uh it could also turn out to be the start of a new friendship so hopefully i will uh 
connect with these guys in the future, gave them my business cards. They'll never hear this, but who knows? They might. So uh, thanks, Brian and Rich, for um, engaging and uh, chatting up a storm with me um, just before dinner on that night. Um, I'm sorry if it didn't turn out the way I expected, but you never know what's going to happen. <clears throat> no pressure. Famous last words. Um, that's it for now. Okay, I'm back. I forgot to mention three other cities in the state of Virginia I have driven through on my trip up to Provincetown and back that make my list of top four. I talked about Spotsylvania in an earlier segment, but here are the other three. Doswell, King Dominion, and Ladysmith. So Doswell is basically, and I have to give credit to the founders of the state, whoever made up these names, it was just super, super creative, so kudos to you. Um, Doswell, I think it's kind of like Springfield. I was born in Springfield, Mass. There's 25 of them all over the country, and I think people just said, oh, let's just have our own Springfield. So 50% of the states have a city called Springfield, and I don't even know which one was first. But I think <clears throat> the same happened with Roswell. There's a Roswell, New Mexico. There's a Roswell, Georgia. There's probably a bunch of other Roswells. So the people in Virginia said, well, let's just let's just change the first letter and then it won't be a Roswell. We'll just call it Doswell. And I don't know if you know this, but the letter R is actually, think of a capital letter R. It's actually a D sitting on top of a K. If you look closely, the top half is essentially a capital D and the bottom half is the bottom of a capital K. So I think that's how they came about this um, in terms of naming taking the Roswell and just scrapping the K part on the bottom and using the D and saying, let's just call it Doswell. Okay, second city is King Dominion. I think that's it. So on the way up here, I saw the normal blue hi green highway sign, you know, saying next exit, you know, King Dominion. And I'm like, oh, wow, that sounds like a theme park. And sure enough, a little ways down the road later, I see the real sign for the theme park, King Dominion, and it's, I've never been there, so I don't know what, what it is, but it's apparently either a theme park or a amusement park or something of that thing. So, fascinating. I don't even know if it's a real city name, so long in the segment. But anyway, the third, and this is one of my favorites, probably my favorite out of the four, is Ladysmith. Now, <laughs> um, here's my here's my description of what I think a Ladysmith is. I think... It's a really cool word because it harkens back to like, you know, the 17th or 18th century when we had blacksmiths and coppersmiths and all those other smiths. But it feels very modern in that it's essentially a personal assistant that a woman in the 21st century has and she calls her her ladysmith. Think of Downton Abbey, uh, the valet and other people that helped a gentleman get dressed and all that crap. This is the same thing, but it's for a woman. Um, and I'm not quite sure if she's more of a personal assistant or she focuses more on the looks of the woman, but she does things like maybe she keeps your calendar and sets up appointments for you and, you know, maybe she helps you with your hair and your makeup and who knows, you know, maybe she even does bikini waxes for you. But essentially, she's like your right-hand woman. She is your ladysmith. So I love the word. I'm going to have to look it up in Urban Dictionary when I get home and see if it's actually out there or not. But if not, 
and you like it and you like what it means, start using the term ladysmith to refer to that kind of person. It could be like a whole new industry, um, you know, in, in, in this new new age when everybody needs a personal assistant or personal helper to help them with things they need help with. So <laughs> that's it for now. If you're ever driving through Virginia, looking for these four cities, uh, Spotsylvania, Donaldswell, King Dominion, and Ladysmith. The hell you think you doing? Oh, excuse me. I was just reciting some lines. I did stand in yesterday for a TV show I haven't worked on before. I learned five new things I wanted to tell you about. Every project is different and you learn something new every day. Number one, there was no background there, which made things simpler and more intimate. But since there were only three of us standing in, I didn't have a lot of options for making new friends. The other two guys were occupied most of the day in the first scene while I just sat and watched, sometimes in the rain. I didn't have an umbrella, so I was turning my camping chair upside down and holding it over my head. The PA eventually gave me the keys to a trailer to hide out in. It was similar to what I had on Red Notice, except the separating wall was pulled back, so it was twice as wide. It had old lady flowery fabric covering everything, including a toilet I found hidden below. I made a silly Instagram reel as if it were a new listing of mine. In sum, Everything was simpler because there weren't 20, 50, or even a thousand background to be corralled through the whole process. Number two, wardrobe told me I should bring stuff, even though the casting company provided absolutely no information about this. In all my prior stand-up roles, they just give you something similar to what the principal actor is wearing. So for future reference, they said, bring three to five things to wear and pointed at a rack of basic t-shirts in colors like black, brown, gray, blue, and tan. I just realized I said stand up again instead of stand in. I'm not a comic. I was wearing a gray t-shirt. They gave me a black one. It made no sense. The principal actor was wearing a brown plaid flannel shirt. Go figure. Number three, they handed me sides not of beef or mac and cheese or french fries or any other food you might order on the side. Sides are basically the script for the scenes they're filming that day, typed up on half sheets of paper, basically eight and a half by 11 cut in half. My character's dialogue was about three to four paragraphs long. I read it over and over and over again, and then eventually memorized it because I had nothing better to do. I met the principal actor earlier in the day and stupidly asked him who he was standing in for. He told me what principal character he was, and I stupidly said, Oh, I'm standing in for you. We look nothing alike. He's probably five foot six and 170 pounds. I'm taller and thinner and look less hillbilly, but I had no way of telling what part of his look was real versus fake. He's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The related point is that I had memorized a certain way in my head all of the lines, but when I heard the actor recite them, they sounded completely different. The sides have no description of emotion nor how the lines should be delivered. My rendition was a bit stiffer and more formal. His was more conversational. It would have been a hoot if I had just started reciting them while standing there as they readied the cameras and lighting for the next scene. I bet someone would have told me to shut the F up. Number four. 
They take rain and lightning seriously in the South. On The Walking Dead, we had to stay inside during a lightning watch. The same happened yesterday, except there was no inside, so we piled into transport vans to wait it out. Our driver fell asleep, so I took pictures and made a video in case the police needed evidence. Despite there being room for 12, and all but three seats marked with do not sit here signs due to COVID, we broke the rules for this particular situation. And number five, filming in a very small real building means you're in the way, even if it's your, if it's your job to stand there while they all mill around you. There were 15 crew in the room trying to squeeze by us as we stood on multiple sets of marks. Mine were fluorescent pink tape. Eventually, you're just thinking, get me the hell out of this room. It was built as a cabin, which meant it was not built for 15 people and large film equipment to be stuffed into. I met a guy named Duke, I think. He was standing in for another character. I obviously got around to asking him if he did this full time, and he said no, and I asked what his other job was. He said he was an investor. I asked for clarification. He basically said that he had invested his resources so that he was living his life off passive income. Wow, what a great idea. I know all about this. I started talking about how I was a millionaire next door based on the book by the same name and drove a 13-year-old car and he agreed with the logic. He said his first two wives didn't agree with his financial philosophy, but that his current girlfriend had, quote, her own money, unquote. That's the way to do it. I didn't mention this when I discussed divorce in a prior episode, but having similar financial philosophies is one key to a successful marriage. That means having the same understanding of how to make money, how to spend money, and how to leverage money to make more money for you. Most people never understand this concept and spend their entire lives struggling financially because they haven't been educated correctly or have, but haven't put the concepts into practice. This is probably one of the biggest shortfalls of our society today. We'd have far fewer social issues if we understood how important it is to teach people about money. I remember taking a class about this in college, but didn't understand at the time why it was so important. This was also the first time production has stopped early due to rain. Just before 8 p.m., they yelled, it's a wrap, due to the storm coming in, and then the skies opened up. I got to my car without getting drenched, and soon enough had driven out of the rain. Surprisingly, Waze routed me not up 85, but through 12 miles of a nice parkway that put me directly onto 20 East. Yay! And it was not raining all the way home. Speaking of ways, the funniest thing on my recent trip up north was that it routed me through Manhattan to 42nd Street so we could drive through the Lincoln Tunnel to get to New Jersey. So there I was sitting in gridlock with my dog asleep in the back, which brought back weird memories since I worked in New York for 10 years. But imagine a scared newbie who was just trying to get around Manhattan to get to Connecticut or New Jersey being thrust into this mayhem. Next time, I'll look at the full set of directions before choosing which ways route to take. Back to Dynasty next week. It's been a year. Hey, I know I'm not supposed to say the name, but when I get around to talking about the experience, I won't disclose what it is. Toodaloo, tofu. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, 2021. I just got my first Shingrix vaccine. Why? Because shingles doesn't care. Plus, 
I had chicken pox as a kid, which means the virus is actually already in my body, and I certainly don't need some nasty, red, itchy, burning skin all over my body. I'm just finally getting over mallet finger, my sore back, and the Black Adam leg injury I sustained a month ago that had me taking back pills for four weeks. I stole Toodaloo Tofu from a recent episode of Grammar Girl, one of my favorite podcasts. It's like See You Later, Alligator, which came from a song in 1956. Another is So Long Dai Kong. I didn't know what country that city is in, so I looked it up. It's Vietnam. D-A-I space K-H-U-O-N-G. I distinctly remember when the Vietnam War ended in the early 1970s. Very dirty soldiers appeared at my dad's pizza restaurant to eat breakfast. I was only 10 and didn't really understand what was going on. Dynasty is a hot mess which is what the COVID woman told me on the phone last night. I had a test Saturday and then another yesterday at Eagle Rock Studios. Today I had to go there for a fitting. Last night, I got a strange email about COVID testing today and called them. The fitting was at 9 a.m., but the testing didn't start until 1 p.m. Well, there was no way in hell I was driving up to Norcross twice. The woman confirmed they have testing starting at 8 a.m., so just show up at 8.30, get the test, and then go do your fitting. And then she called back three minutes later and said, never mind, I didn't need a test today. I hung up but didn't trust her, so I emailed them to get it in writing, and I did. Today, for my fitting, it was a ghost town. I called Central Casting last night to get specifics, and she assured me there would be signs. There were no signs. First off, I was 15 minutes late due to rain and rush hour and accidents, but like shingles, they didn't care. I entered the breezeway, same as yesterday, and looked for signs of anything, life or background fitting or just anything. I found the COVID place where I got tested yesterday, but the guy there had no idea. Then this woman randomly appeared and said, oh, costumes is way over there. So I walked way over there and entered a fully lit room with lots of racks of clothing, but no people. As I exited, another woman appeared and said, just follow me. I'll be right back. It's the second door on the right. So I entered that door and found myself on a set. And the second and third doors on the right led to the same fake set. So I backtracked and walked all the way down and found nothing. I tried the left side and that's where background fitting was. I'm either hard of hearing or that woman has no sense of direction. It was quick and easy. She loved what I brought and just had to find me a coat. I'm a pedestrian. I do that so well. I just walk and walk and walk and I get my Fitbit steps in and someone pays me for it. Halfway out the door following the breadcrumbs I had left, I realized I had left my suitcase back there and had to go get it. I should have mumbled under my breath, your directions sucked. Anywho, I got home and did some work and then repeated the process for the staircase next week in some ratty old building on Ralph David Abernathy, technically in the West End. This took much longer because I had to try on multiple suits. I'm going to be an on-air reporter. The weird thing was I brought suits from 2006, but the show was set in 2001, so they insisted I have pleated pants with cuffs, so I have to wear their suits. I think these women were in diapers at the time, and I told them how I had actually been in the business world that year and wore suits, but don't recall having any with pleated pants. They joked that I must not have been fashion forward. When I got home, I rechecked all my suits and did find pleated pants, but they were from 1994. So now I don't know who to trust. Gotta go, my friend Zach stands in full time for Blake Carrington, and he assured me we'd have a reasonable call time tomorrow, and he was right. It's 3 p.m. 
that's actually too late for me because I sure as hell do not want to be working until 3 a.m. and then repeat it all over again the next day. It's so weird that the filming is at the exact same hotel we did the first Wives Club pool scene at months ago, very close to home, which is great. Anyway, they continue to be a mess. The text I just got says, I'm a paramedic. Did someone change their mind? I would love to be a paramedic. Well, 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 I just got asked by Central Casting if I was available to play a featured role as a father playing basketball with his daughter for long, slow exhale. How terrifying. Remember the baseball story I told about being the Little League coach on the Wonder Years in episode 11? Basketball is a sport I was even worse at than baseball, if that's even possible. Not only could I not get the ball through the hoop, but most of the time I would toss the ball towards it the ball would hover in the air magically for a few seconds and then come right back to my hands, as if I were a magnet or it was some type of boomerang. And that whole traveling with the ball thing I never quite understood. Something about bouncing the basketball at least once for every step you take? I'm not sure I would have had the cojones to accept this role, and I have a conflict anyway. But it seems more and more people are looking at me as an athlete. And maybe this is my opportunity to pretend that I am one and reconcile that whole lost childhood thing I told you about. I've concluded that you are never too old to learn how to do something, even if the process of learning it may look ridiculous when you're pushing 60. Here's my point. It is quite an honor and a step in the right direction for a casting company to pick you for a featured role to be presented to a director. It's certainly better than vanilla background work, so I would be tempted to cancel another booking just to apply for this, and then pay someone to take me through a basketball boot camp. Central is on fire these days. They are pinging me three to six times a day. That's never happened. Maybe I need to hire an assistant to apply for these jobs and accept on my behalf, and then just tell me where I need to be and when. Sounds like a business opportunity for me, right? I'll call it background assistant and take a small cut of each job booked, but up front, of course. Would you hire me to do this for you? If in the end it made your life easier, let me know. Today is Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. I finished my first of two days of filming on that CW show that begins with a D and is all about the Carringtons, but I don't think I'm supposed to say the name. Just a few points I wanna make about this. It's the first time I've ever done a full day of filming with no principal actors to create what they call establishing scenes. These are basically filler for the production to use in the episode. I think it's to introduce the viewers to the real scene, orient them, and basically say something like, now we're at the hospital, except we were really filming at a hotel in downtown Atlanta. The other big point is that I've never been used in the same scene as five different people while wearing the same clothing. I had one outfit and was dressed casually in chinos, a long sleeve shirt, and Chelsea boots. First, I was walking out of the hospital. Then I was in a wheelchair being pushed by a nurse towards my wife, who had just jumped out of our big black SUV and was excited to see me. Then she and I were walking into the hospital as she carried our baby in a baby carrier. How did that happen? I was in the hospital for over a year. 
Fourth, I was delivering a pizza to the hospital. And finally, I was with another woman walking in the rain. There were only 10 to 15 of us background in the scene. I guess the doctors and paramedics played the same roles, but the three pedestrians were used in multiple ways. I cannot wait to see how this turns out. It's almost as if they cannot mix multiple shots because it would make no sense. For example, wasn't that pizza delivery guy just in a wheelchair? Or why is the woman who just drove up in the SUV to pick up her husband suddenly in a wheelchair herself? Did something happen that we didn't see? And who gets a pizza delivered to a hospital? Is that even possible? Ironically, two hours later, a real pizza delivery person showed up and left her car running in the street as she approached the hotel. She was dressed in all black, like much of the crew, so it took me a few seconds to register that she was a real delivery person. She said excuse me because I was blocking her way, and I almost wanted to say, good luck with that, I spent 30 minutes trying to deliver mine and never found the person. Actually, what happened was after a few takes, they decided my pizza delivery was stupid, and I just sat offset in the lobby waiting to be used. I watched people check into the very unbusy hotel, and once again, the crew had made no attempt to block the front entrance of the hotel, so there was a sporadic trickle of guests wandering into our scenes. There are three types of guests. One, those who are oblivious and walk right through the scene as we're filming. Two, those that are stopped by a PA and asked to wait and comply. And three, those who proactively stop and watch and are extremely curious about what we're doing. After listening to the hotel staff's banter about what show it was, I had to jump in and tell them what it was and that it was not on BET. It was a relatively short day, only seven hours, but I was not in bed until 11.30 and am now exhausted. Today we are up at some manor in Gwinnett County and I get to play a gardener. Excuse me while I go find some nondescript shoes or sneakers to wear. They are providing the rest of my clothing. While there, Central pinged me for a body double role in senior year. I don't do well with these. They always ask me to immediately take and send photos of my face, hair, and the back of my head. So there I was on set like a weirdo trying to photograph the back of my head. This is where it all goes south and I never hear from them. Central also inquired about my availability for a wedding scene that films over the course of seven days. Quite a commitment, but it's a lot of money. Today is Friday, July 23rd, 2021. My second day on Dynasty yesterday was so much fun. I haven't enjoyed a project this much in a long time, although it didn't start out that way. It was way up in Sugar Hill, a good hour's drive, and I got started late and hit massive traffic, so I was 10 minutes late. And once I got to the parking lot, I wasn't actually there yet. I had to take a shuttle to the house right next door. Casting companies should really tell you if there's a shuttle involved and how long that part takes so you can factor it into your travel time, but they don't. Of the 15 of us who filmed on Wednesday, they handpicked five of us for Thursday, so it was really, really intimate, and that made it great. All eyes were on us, just the crew, no principal actors, and five background. We filmed at what they call the Carrington Manor, but it's actually a privately owned house on a giant piece of land with a lake in front of it. We arrived to find the crew on the far side filming with a drone, and then watched a red Ferrari drive up and down the road to the house and back. Only after this was finished could our shuttle then take us to the house. For the first three hours, it was just me and the pool girl being filmed in the backyard. 
They gave me a real leaf blower to use, but because it's not fall, there were no leaves to blow. So I looked for pieces of pine straw to blow around as I marched from right to left and then back again. Although I'm not technically featured here, you will not be able to miss me. I'm the gardener in the tan pants, light gray polo, off-white jacket, and leather hiking boots, with a leaf blower engine strapped to my back. The contraption broke on the second take. The long black plastic car separated and fell to the ground, so I just picked it up and kept going. Later on, they gave me wire cutters that were locked shut and some gloves and asked me to trim boxwoods at the edge of the pool. Because the AD wanted me on the right side of the bush, I had to use my left hand to cut it, which was awkward since I'm right-handed. He also wanted me to squat down after 15 seconds and cut from that position. That got really painful. I couldn't hear anyone yelling cut. All I could hear was background and action. So I completely lost track of exactly when we were starting and stopping. When the leaf blower was on, I couldn't hear anything, so people had to scream at me to stop and turn it off. And then I got to walk a whole lap up the grand staircase on the right, across the back of the house, and down the left side. I've never seen so many garages filled with things other than cars. The house at Holding had a three-car garage with four doors. It had only two vehicles and a lot of other stuff, including real and toy children's vehicles, most notably a pink Barbie mobile. The main house we filmed at had two garages, a three-car and a two-car. The three-car was filled with more stuff, including lots of children's vehicles. Here was a second pink Barbie SUV, complete with a full kitchen and microwave in the back. The owners actually returned at some point and went inside. Earlier, we met their German Shepherd outside and got to pet him. But I was so confused about all the kitty stuff because I thought all their children were grown. Why did I think that? Because the day before at the Sheraton, I met someone staying at the hotel who actually did the flowers for the wedding of one of the daughters of the owners of this estate. He showed me pictures of the back of the house. So it was ironic that I was going there the next day to film. It's a huge house with something like 10 bedrooms and 9 baths, but the amount of upkeep looked overwhelming. Some of the outdoor flowers are actually fake, but I guess that keeps them going year-round with no real gardener needed. Aside from the small amount of background, the other reason it was great was the positive feedback we got. I've never had the crew tell me repeatedly that I was doing a great job. I don't know if this is just something that they tell everyone or if I was actually doing much better than the norm. Either way, I guess your brain sends out endorphins or something to lift your spirits when you hear these things. It works. When you think about it, you are making their jobs so much easier because they don't have to film the same shot 20 times because you're giving them exactly what they want in just two to three takes. I met a really nice woman named Joyce who lives in my part of town. We talked about our pets, appliances that break, and real estate. When you get so engaged in conversation, you lose all track of time and forget why you're even there. We broke for dinner and were wrapped around 9 p.m. I was correct in how this footage is used. It's basically put into multiple episodes to establish where we literally are in the story. So me being five different people at the hospital was okay because you won't see all that footage in the same episode. I think it's going to be in season four or five, so look for the gardener by the pool. And that should be me.
Today is Thursday, July 29th, 2021. I did the elevator yesterday as an on-air news reporter. That's not the real name, of course, but I'm sure you can figure out what I'm talking about. While preparing for this with testing and fitting, two days ago Central pinged me for two opportunities on Ozark. I said it was available for both opportunities, because I really was. The first had no conflicts. The second only had a potential testing conflict with filming yesterday, but it all worked out because Ozark testing is in the morning and my call time for the other project wasn't until noon. That rarely happens. Do as I say and not as I do. Don't overbook yourself or at least be prepared to weasel out of one of your commitments. And I was totally ready and willing to cancel for Ozark. Why? I haven't discussed this before, but there is a huge difference working on one of your favorite shows versus a brand new show you've never heard of or a movie. Both you have no real knowledge of, but with a favorite show, it's super exciting. And that's the only reason I agreed since the pay is not that great. I last worked on Ozark in October 2019, almost two years ago. I knew they were filming seasons four and five concurrently as we have a friend in accounting. I saw her parking spot at Third Rail Studios yesterday, but it was empty. Today, her car was there. One new learning for me is about getting your voice on camera, even if you have no lines. For half the scenes, they told us to pantomime. For the other half, we could just say and yell anything we wanted. We all know that news reporters are loud and obnoxious people because their job is to get the story any way they can, which means getting in your face and yelling and not giving up, even if the person they're hounding is sealed in a car that's driving away. Silly, but is the car really going to stop and the window roll down because the occupant suddenly decides they want to answer your question? I had two stunt people next to me, keeping me from getting my feet run over by the car. But they prevented me from staying in the frame of my camera guy. Each of us had a camera person and boom person. Here's where it gets really good. As I was saying, here's where it gets good. The very last scene had only 12 of us reporters who were the closest to the main actors. They were lined up and we were lined up facing them about two feet away, so basically staring right at them. They filmed from behind us, so all you'll see is the back of our heads. But when the two primary actors finished their lines, there was a gap. So people around me just jumped in and yelled stuff like, does anyone else have anything to say? Or any more comments from the family? I actually thought the two women next to me had been given lines from the director. But after a few takes, I realized they were just making stuff up because their lines changed every time. One guy yelled, what part of the Bible is he reading? And that's when I rolled my eyes and thought, Now that's just a stupid thing to ask, but the director did not jump in and correct him. So I finally chimed in by the end with a very simple, any more comments? I doubt you'll hear me, but in addition to looking for myself, I will be listening for my voice as well. We worked 14 hours yesterday until 1.30 a.m. Not fun. I have warned about the hot summer sun, but it's definitely worse when you're wearing a suit and it's 93 degrees outside. While I was there, Hilton called to see if I could come back for two more days and do stand-in work. I agreed as long as the call time didn't conflict with my early morning Ozark COVID testing. It did not. 
However, after testing this morning, my Ozark filming date moved and I had a conflict, so that is no longer happening. So close and yet so far. By the way, Ozark now requires that everyone be vaccinated against COVID, which is something new here in Georgia that is spreading like wildfire. On yesterday's project, they made it clear that 90% of the COVID outbreaks came from background people, which I guess means even their testing process isn't 100% effective. You all know how I do not do overnight jobs. The Hilton woman assured me the call time today would be similar to yesterday's. In other words, midday. She's right. It's 2.30 p.m. for the crew, but it's 8.30 p.m. for me. So I'm terrified that I'm going to be there all night. But the PA yesterday confirmed they work 12-hour days, which means we'll be there until at least 2.30 a.m. It's 12 hours for them, but only six for me. The only reason I'm doing this is that it's an opportunity I've not had before. I've never done stand-in for scenes where there are no background actors. I expect it will be very intimate with just the principal actors and their corresponding stand-ins, all of whom were standing directly in front of me last night. It's really weird to see eight of these people at once and then each of the corresponding actors replace them minutes later. It's basically two sets of people, the real ones and their doppelgangers. I even saw both the actor and stand-in who got the job that was originally offered to me while on vacation, the five-month gig that was rescinded because I couldn't make the first two days. The bigger and more exciting news is that I was director picked to play the father of the groom for another film shooting seven days in August. That should be fun, although I haven't done seven consecutive days of film work since last November. And it's a good hour away, and now I have to find someone to watch Sugar Bear. The last wedding I was part of was in Red Notice, but I wasn't actually a guest. Being the father of the groom means lots of screen time and clearly a featured role that should appear in the credits. I may even get a line. Woo-hoo. It's still Thursday. I'm back. Hilton just called and canceled my stand-in job for today due to a schedule change. Yay! I'm so excited. It's like a snow day because I really didn't feel like being up until 2 a.m. again tonight. Hopefully tomorrow goes as planned, since one day of this will be enough for me, and I do want the experience. When all you can think about is going home and you haven't even left your house yet, it's probably a sign that you really don't want to go do the job. Two other odd things happened yesterday. Let me just warn you that sometimes there are blatant weirdos on set who make themselves known to everyone and label themselves this way by doing something very strange. While filming outside yesterday, this older woman in jeans suddenly yelled, SHUT UP! at the top of her lungs. We all looked at her in bewilderment and the PA ran over to see what the issue was. And then I saw a prisoner in an orange jumpsuit on the fourth floor by the window, barely yelling something himself. Apparently, he was ruining the scene by making noise, and she thought it was her job to shut him up. Really? You're a background actor whose job is to act, but be quiet, and this is what you do? I saw some similarly odd interactions later in the day in holding and actually considered approaching her to find out what made her do this. Why not? That would make for a wonderful story and probably catch her so off guard. Especially if I looked her in the eye and said, Karen, that was a really weird thing to do and everyone here agrees with me. 
Later, while talking up a storm with my friend Valerie about COVID and shingles, I mentioned that I had heard someone report that no one was tracking these breakthrough cases because they were all focused on tracking the virus itself and testing and vaccinations. This redneck guy behind her suddenly chimed in with, that's a stupid answer. No one's tracking it? I just looked at him like he was from Mars and looked away. I didn't really know what to say and wasn't about to get into anything with a complete stranger. I mean, was this guy trying to pick some kind of COVID or political fight with me? If you don't engage with someone, there's not a lot they can do. Like the woman who backed into my car at a red light last Saturday. After she screamed at me for 15 minutes, I got in my car, locked the door, and called the police. And the nice policewoman thanked me for doing just that. Staying calm, waiting, and not engaging with a lunatic. Today is Friday, July 30th, 2021. This episode is way, way, way too long, so I'm going to skip the recap. Also, I spent an hour last night on a video conference with the production company for the show I worked on this week. As a background actor, I had absolutely no business being there, but I was invited, so why not? And it was like being on Hollywood Squares with the famous actor in the box right next to me. I had no idea how complicated COVID management was for a company. The doctor from Los Angeles who was on the call noted that the film industry is the most heavily tested in the world. Someone tested positive on Wednesday, so they shut the show down for two days. I learned a few things, so it's definitely worth my time. First, foreign actors who are vaccinated with the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is not approved in the US, are considered by the production companies and or unions to be not vaccinated. Second, the production companies have to negotiate with the unions to agree on acceptable COVID practices to put into place. Third, the Screen Actors Guild announced a few weeks ago that each production has the right to determine if they want to make vaccinations mandatory for all Zone A workers. I think Zone A is basically the actors. Netflix went one step further and said that all of their productions now require this. My most recent Ozark experience this week confirms that they too are making it a requirement for at least this show. Finally, some productions are making life easier for those vaccinated as a way to induce non-vaccinated people to get vaccinated. For example, on this week's show, if you're vaccinated, you can take your mask off outside, eat with other vaccinated people, and not have to adhere to social distancing. So, like the real world outside, the film world is becoming a dichotomy of those vaccinated and those not. It seems to have the power and clout and courage to do this, which may lead other industries to follow suit, just as President Biden has now required all federal workers to be vaccinated as well. I know this is supposed to be about background acting, but it's hard to keep COVID out of it, given the state that we're in. And the Delta variant is not helping matters. That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of the Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG rules of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out, and if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.